You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women who drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant, an executive coach, and a leadership facilitator working with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. Welcome back to another episode of She's Got Drive. And this episode is a stonker, as we used to say in the UK when I was a kid. So I want you, I'm just going to do a roll call. And I want you to think about, these. do you recognize these names? And what do they all have in common? Letitia Tish James, Lauren Underwood, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Talab, Johanna Hayes, Ayana Presley, Lucy Macbeth or Macbeth. What do they all have in common? They're all first black women who were blazing a trail in the political process. First black woman attorney general in New York. First black woman elected to Congress in Illinois. First black Somali American elected to Congress, first Muslim elected to Congress, first black woman elected to Congress in Connecticut, first black woman elected to Congress in Massachusetts, from representing Massachusetts, first black woman elected to Congress for Georgia, first. And in fact, so much history was made in the midterm elections. We had some losses, yes, some high profile losses, but they were, and even in the loss, there was so much to gain. Um, In Houston, where 19 African-American women stood to be elected, stood for for election as judges, all of them were elected. So, so much to be proud of, so much to be inspired by. Because even in all those are the wins but at least 468 black women actually ran for political office in 2018. 40 black women was on the congressional ballots. This is historic and I feel so moved and proud to have as my guest this week, Glinda Carr, who is co-founder of Higher Heights, who is standing for the transformation of the political process, who's standing for the transformation of black women's participation in the political process. And these gains come out of the individual women's work. It also comes out out of the work of people like Linda, and there are a number of people in the country standing for the transformation of politics with women's participation. And Glinda's work is a demonstration of her commitment, her passion, and her purpose being fulfilled. Um, And we're going to hear about what's the kind of work that she does through her work, Higher Heights, that is supporting women to move forward, to be seen. We're, We're supporting black women, more specifically, to be supported, to be seen, to participate in the political process, whether you are standing to be elected or whether you are starting to influence the policies that make um, the impact our lives. So I'm so excited about having Glinda on the show and her sharing her wisdom with us, her passion with us comes through. And, um, you know, I just, I have to say, by the end of it, I was totally in love with her. So there we are, there we are. So before we get into Glinda and her work in this fantastic interview, um, let's talk about what's driving me this week. And it is connected to the theme of this week through Glinda and her work. And that is, I mean, you know, I'm still being driven by Mish. Mish and becoming, hashtag I am becoming, hashtag who am I becoming, hashtag I love Mish Obama, <laughs> you know. Her book is still driving me. And I'm literally... If I'm not able to sit and open the book to read it, I am on the move listening to it. And then I pick it up again and read it because it is that like I'm just being given by it this week. I've just been, you know, full up with it this week. But what one of the things about it, one of the things that a really famous quote 
um, by Michelle Obama is, you know, surround yourself with people who lift you up. And so one of the things that's driving me this week through this book and the themes around this book and also through this interview with Glinda is really the notion of the support that we gain from others and the support that we give to others to have them fulfill their life purpose. And, you know, to the questions of how do we lift each other up? How do we support each other? And um, where do we go to get the support that we need? Do we reach out for support? Uh, how, and I want us to, and really present to how critical support is in order to achieve the life that we want. One of the key um, structures, if you like, that I use when I'm working with my clients is this uh, model called the, in- the model for intentional change, which is about when you are, when you want change that's sustainable, that's over time sustainable, that you are able to maintain that change in your life. One of the critical aspects of that model is support. It's at the center of that model, actually, is support. Are you, do you have an environment do you have people in your environment who can support you in fulfilling your dreams, fulfilling your vision, fulfilling the outcome, fulfilling the game you're playing? And how important it is for us to, to garner that support in our lives to in order to further the work, um, whether that be our life's work or just any work that we're up to, the things that we care about to further that. And so that's what's driving me this week. I'm being sourced by the stories around Michelle Obama. I've been in another number of conversations about support and what does that look like for others and as well as for me. And also it's in the theme of this interview with Glinda and her work, which is supporting black women to be their best selves and stand for the transformation of of politics for black women's participation so that's what's driving me this week and now we move on to the review of the week the review of the week so this week's five-star review comes from jocelyn sg And the title is Inspiring, Uplifting and Soulful. She says that She's Got Drive is both refreshing and uplifting. The inspiring content serves as a reminder to pursue and embrace our best self in our everyday lives. There's always a takeaway or affirmational message to be had. Shirley McAlpine's self-care suggestions coupled with personal stories from her life and that of her guests are fuel for the soul. Jocelyn thank you so much for that I appreciate that I love that you're finding it as fuel for your soul I love that you are taking away some affirmations and um, that there's always some takeaways and you know sometimes people talk about getting their notebook out and I love that you know I appreciate you spending the time to rate rate and review the show it makes such a difference to me to read it to Cassandra to read it and to know that it, you're getting a lot out of it and it makes a difference on how we grow the show the ratings and the reviews matter so please if you're really enjoying the show head over to iTunes you can log in from your um, browser go into rating and reviewing and um, rate and review the show and I will choose a five-star review to read out at the next episode. So thank you so much. Okay, so let's get started with our interview now. And let me introduce Glinda Carr to you. So as I said earlier, Glinda Carr is the co-founder of Higher Heights. And she founded that along with um, Kimberly Peeler Allen. So who's, um, who's not on the show, but maybe in the future. So Glinda, let me tell you about something about Higher Heights and Glinda. Higher Heights is the only national organization providing black women with a political home exclusively dedicated to harnessing their power to elect black women, influence elections and advance progressive policies. 
Higher Heights is about building the political power and leadership of black women from the voting booth to elected office and creating the environment for black women to run, win and lead. And Glinda, we were going to hear about how she founded um, this organisation with Kimberly. But let me tell you something about her. So Glinda is an advocate and political strategist and is recognized for her innovative leadership style. She's committed to expanding the civic participation of communities of color and advancing progressive public policies that build sustainable communities. She's the former executive director of Education Voters of New York, which was a leading independent voice for school reform in the state. She was the young, New York's youngest African-American woman to run a statewide advocacy organization. She's formerly chief of staff to New York State Senator Kevin Parker, where she managed the senator's key initiatives and shaped policy around youth development and economic development for the 21st Senatorial District. She also served as campaign manager for two of his successful re-election campaigns. Her writing has appeared on TheRoot.com, BET.com, Ebony.com and Feminist.com. She has appeared on Fox News Live, MSNBC and several other media outlets. She is a force to be reckoned with. I'm so excited that she's on the show. I give you Glinda Carr. Glinda, thank you so much for being a guest on She's Got Drive. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be able to finally sit down with you to find out more about you, your work, and particularly in this moment in time, how important your work is to all of us, <laughs> to all of us. And so sharing your wisdom with the, us all is, is something I'm really looking forward to. Why don't you start with sharing with our listeners what is the work that you're doing about your organization and how you came to, to, to be doing it. Great. Yeah, thank you for having me. It is actually such an interesting time in our country, right? It, it's, we're living in some of the most politically toxic and racially divisive times, yet and still people rise, and particularly Black women. So who am I? I'm the great-granddaughter of Carrie Lee Dickens. She was born in 1895 and died shy of her 100th birthday. Um, and so I, you know, was blessed to, you know, grow up with my great grandmother, my grandmother and mother, very strong black women who lived through, you know, the women's suffrage movement, collectively lived through the women's suffrage movement, uh, the civil rights movement. And, you know, my great grandmother dreamt a dream bigger for me and my brothers than we could have ever imagined. She wanted her you know, her great granddaughter to live in a society that did not confine me by walls or ceilings. I come from a politically active family. Uh, my parents were really great to me. I got great pieces of jewelry and gifts. But what I do remember, I might not have any of that jewelry anymore because I've <laughs> lost it down, down a drain or in a college dorm is that I remember on my 18th birthday, my mother put me in her car and drove me to register to vote. And until the day she died, she called me and my brothers every election to ensure that we voted. That's what black women have done, done since the Sojourner Truths of the world. You know, right. Sojourner Truth stood in 1851 in a room full of white women and said, posed a very important question, and ain't I a woman? Right. Uh, and I find, you know, our journey in this 21st century of black women making sure our voices are heard in this democracy um, at a time where we are fighting for, you know, literally our very health, for the safety of our children, for us to, you know, get paid every dollar that we're, um, we're demanded. Um, we're, you know, obviously an amazing voting block, but oftentimes our trips to the polls have not translated into policies that affect us as, as a community. Yes. And um, the representation doesn't, doesn't match that. You know, the 24 million black women in this country are still underrepresented and underserved. I say all that to say is that I'm rooted in the history of the women in my family. And that which, that's what drives me to this work. I want to ensure that my godchildren, particularly my goddaughters, you know, live in a true true free society where they can dream the biggest dreams that they have for themselves. Kim Peeler Allen and I started an organization sitting in a Brooklyn cafe, you know, frankly, venting about the 2010 midterm elections and feeling that we didn't believe we saw ourselves in oftentimes in the progressive community, in a democracy. And we just, you know, flippantly said, we should start our own organization. And then we... <laughs> 
throughout that, you know, you know, cup of coffee, we started pulling out pieces of paper and sketching out, well, what would a political organization look like that was rooted in um, the history of black women that was designed for and by black women? We came up with the name of Higher Heights. So Higher Heights is a national organization building the political power of black women from the voting booth to elected office. Our goal is how do we unleash the organizing power of black women from you know, our trips to the polls uh, mm-hmm. in a way that transforms our community and the policies that affect our communities in a way that ensures that the people sitting around the decision-making tables, that some of those people look like us. Right. There's so much there because the history that you're rooted in the family, the, in, the influence of the women in your family in the work that you're doing today is so amazing. And I wish that there were more people who would guide their children to the polls in the way that your your mum mm-hmm. did you. So what in the, when you talk about your work, you know, you can see that those in elected office, so there's the work of, and obviously Stacey Abrams, that is, has really been a prominent figure, but there's many, many, we have many wins and losses in the midterms in terms of that. But what what's the other work when you say, getting people to the polls what's that kind of work that you're doing there as well as let's hone in on some of the work on how you're getting women to to stand in for office yeah so you know higher heights uh, one of our signature programs uh, is called hashtag black women vote so black women according to nielsen are one of the largest users of social media we spend three to four hours more a day on social media we click through more videos than the general population and frankly, you know, black women or like black, black Twitter and the black one, black Twitter is obviously the foundation of black Twitter are black women, you know, from your Beyonce's to the world to your, you know, frankly, micro influencers, everyday women who have people watching them. You know, one thing that Nielsen has also done in their African-American women's report they did last year was that black women are considered trendsetters, right? Not only are other black women looking to black women on what they're wearing, what their hair is, what they're saying, that general population actually are looking to black women. So the notion of our power online to be able to shape debates are important. You know, Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter was started by three black women, right? right? And so how do we use that influence to actually engage our network? Um, And so our Black Women Vote program is a program that is giving black women the tools for them to be ready to vote, but more importantly, giving them the tools to organize their networks to the polls. So the over... The last couple of months, we've been, you know, giving black women amazing videos that they can put out, all rooted, interestingly, in the Sojourner Truth frame of black women are truth tellers, asking us to talk about what are the issues that are driving us to the polls, providing them with social graphics to share to we did this amazing tool with Ballot Ready, which was a make a vote plan. Uh, That was actually rooted in one of my stories. I had a vote, a primary vote plan fail. I, you know, travel a lot. I obviously voting is what I do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I missed, uh, I didn't miss my flight. My flight was canceled and so didn't make it back to vote. So the notion of figuring out what your vote plan is. And so for us this year, we still, you know, in these midterms show that we are a voting force, that we still come out and vote and vote in the interest of our community. We're issue voters. So we did an amazing evening called a Night of Sister to Sister Salons. So we gathered over 2,000 women across this country in a virtual conversation. So wow. we asked uh, regular day black women to host their girlfriends, their their aunts, their mothers, their, their sorority sisters in their homes, in their church basements, in libraries, in conference rooms for a night of talking about what are the issues that we are uh, most concerned with and what are the issues we're going to carry to the polls this year. And we had, like I said, um, over, uh, 100 salon conversations across the country, gathering over 2,000 women. Our special guest was Maxine Waters, who called called in. So if, if people had technology, they were able to like hear Maxine Waters. And it's some. Something about being very powerful that knowing that there were other women meeting across the country saying the same thing, talking about the same thing. So we've been compiling their reports from each of those salons and we'll be releasing out. It's not just about um, election day. You know, frankly, believe that democracy begins the day after the elections. Um, So we are organizing the black women who gathered in their homes uh, leading into the elections to ensure that we are prepared to um, hold our elected officials accountable and frankly, 
create the environment for our champions to do amazing work in 2019. So as we swear in governors and the 116th Congress and state legislatures across this country, you know, we welcome the ability to harness the power of Black women from the polls into helping to govern this country and help the country move to higher heights. Great. So it's really, I think you make such an important point because the the power of Black women emerges so strong at the polls. Their presence is really felt. What does holding the officials accountable look like in a, in practical sense? What am I actually doing if yeah. I'm doing that? So yeah. to help, help our listeners understand that. Well, I spent six years working for the New York State Legislature as the chief of staff of a state senator. Oftentimes in our government, in our democracy, we talk about, you know, the powerful Americans and powerful Americans. But frankly, the squeaky wheel gets the oil and we all have the ability to squeak. Um, and, and the more squeaks we have, the more powerful we are. When I worked in a government office, we always encouraged our constituents to reach out. And we all have the ability to do that. We live in a 21st century tweetable environment. Our president tweets often. And our elected officials are actually now paying attention to social media. So it could be as simple as if you're a social media user to you know, tweet out something that you don't like. Uh, that you've seen an elected official or tweet out suggestions and ideas. Old-fashioned phone calls, letter writing. If you've never visited or talked to your you know, local elected, you should. You know, calling and requesting a meeting. Oftentimes, some of the uh, most innovative policies that are um, passed by lawmakers have been passed because a constituent came to talk about an issue. You know, what I love about the 116th Congress, uh, as we pivot to talk about some of the amazing Black women uh, that mm-hmm. ran and won the cycle, is um, I shared yesterday on a panel that the 116th Congress, we're sending the largest number of Black women to serve in that body. And it's the 50th anniversary of Shirley Chisholm's run and election to Congress, catapulting her to be the first Black woman's voice in that body. But the five new Black women that will be sworn in in January um, are amazing. It's not, I, I celebrate them because they're women. I celebrate them because they're Black, you know, Black women but we're also sending their qualifications, their experiences and their backgrounds. So we are sending an educator, a nurse, a state legislator, a city council member, and a mother of a slain black boy in Lucy McBath. Lucy became involved in advocacy after the death of her son, Jordan Davis. Here's a woman who, you know, was, you know, living her life, going to work, raising her child, and then because of a tragedy became more politically engaged and literally lobbied, you know, Congress about um, sensible gun um, reform. And so that, we all have a role to play. She has helped to shape what policy looks like. She has helped to, you know, stop policies that she thought um, weren't good for her community. Um, And she did that as just a grieving mom. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have a story or an idea or something that motivates you as a regular day citizen, your input into our government makes our government stronger. I think there's so many of us who will be sitting, listening to you say that and not even know that that was within our purview. I think holding clarity around the power of our vote is clear, but that people can get up and and influence have the power to influence and change policy at that level i think people have totally underestimated that and so there's real space for growth and um and the time is uh, and there's urgency yeah and we don't all have to we don't all have to run for office um but your voice does matter in this democracy i'll give you a, a a great example um you know our elected leaders need to hear from us so that when they are fighting for their constituency that they're able to say my constituents have said this right. about me so when i worked again for the new york state legislature we got a letter from a sixth grader um and her name was jade and so um the letter talked about she was outraged as a sixth grader that she opened up her textbook in the beginning of the year and for for those who are old enough y'all will remember that you know you used to write your name in the textbook Mm -hmm. that her aunt's name was listed in her textbook so her thing is how old is this book that my aunt's name and so this sixth grader was so incensed by it she wrote a letter to her um to her state senator uh, and we wrote her back uh, 
and said, you know, if you'd like to, you know, schedule a meeting. This sixth grader scheduled a meeting and sure enough, marched into that office in awe of all of the staff and the senator and sat there and said, you know, had very clear demands of what she thought a better education was for her. Right. And how powerful one is that because she was a sixth grader. And of course, what happened was her mother had to come. <laughs> yes. And so like her empowering her whole family. And then for the, you know, the senator, senator, it's Senator Kevin Parker out of Brooklyn to be able to then go to the education committee or a conference and say, my, you know, the young people in my community, you know, are upset that we are not fully funding the education in a way right. that they have the most, you know, um, you know, state of the art and updated, um, you know, materials to be able to learn. Um, so, you know, I always use her as an example of, you know, how your voice actually can really matter. Wow. That's an incredible story. That's and she's an incredible now graduated from high school, graduated yeah. from college and is, you know, an amazing 20 something year old, you know, woman, you know, aspiring to, you know, being an attorney one day. Oh, good for her, Jade. And good for what well, it's such a powerful story. And I hope that it inspires people to really get the things that they care about to, to start by getting in communication with their representatives and then to to start there and it starts with one one step at a time right and you keep moving forward we keep moving forward um if someone's really interested in becoming an elected official where's the start point where do you begin with you you know how do you it's a long it feels like a long road it is we call it a like the primary of, of self Um, so you may be inspired to think you should run for office. I do believe not everybody like doesn't need to run for office. Everybody Mm -hmm. has a role in our democracy, but if you're seriously thinking about it, it is, you know, really making a decision, you know, making the decision for yourself. It is a tough road. Um, and not only do you need to inspire others to believe, uh, in, in your vision, you need to have, you know, you need to be mentally prepared, uh, for this journey. Um, so at higher heights, Uh, you know, we are helping to prepare the next generation of political leaders. So we host um, online, you can sit in the comfort of your home, um, a webinar series. Uh, We'll be kicking off our 2019 um, winter webinar series uh, after the new year. And it's we what we love about the series is we um, have assembled an amazing group of partner organizations and black women uh, experts and trainers that will train you from you thinking about running for office. What's your first checklist? You know, how do you begin to raise money? How do you pull together what we call your squad, your volunteer or professional campaign team? Um, what are the issues that we care about? And so, you know, on any given Tuesday at seven o'clock, you know, sitting in your house at a cafe, at a library, you can tune into live um, trainings. Uh, if you want to go to higherheightsforamerica.org right now, you can see all of our archived trainings um, over the last year and a half. Um, but we also partner with some amazing organizations like Emerge and Vote Run Lead and Emily's List, who all provide trainings that vary from online trainings to uh, seven-week training uh, to one-day trainings that are happening on the ground in select areas. Um, so I would say, you know, you know, make a decision if this is something that you think are thinking about. Um, become, you know, become prepared by um, participating in some of the amazing, mostly free trainings. And then finally, uh, if if you're running for office, um, you know, Higher Heights supports uh, women, I should say Higher Heights for America, our political action committee. We support candidates that are running at the federal level, statewide executive level, and at the uh, top 100 major cities mayoral levels. But there are, you know, a ton of political organizations that support women based on, um, uh, gender and race. Uh, there are organizations that support um, candidates based on your issue areas. That you know, there's a you know the World Wide Web is great. Uh, and Google <laughs> is great, and being able to Google you, the, you know the communities that most likely will support your your candidacy uh, is important. Um, and that is what we did uh, this year. You know, we recruited, we support an amazing uh, group of women, over 25 of them. Um, and as I mentioned, we're sending the, you know, the largest number of black women to Congress. Um, but we also have elected, um, the 13th ever, th- well, I should say 13th and 14th ever, uh, black women to serve in statewide executive office. So, um, Illinois, and, uh, we elected, uh, 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 Tish James as the attorney general of New York. So although, we were not able, uh, you know, the, the, the verdict is still out in regards to what's happening in Georgia. Yes. Um, you know, we continue to call for every vote that counts, uh, for every vote to count. 
Stacey Abrams has, win or lose, have completely right. changed the face of what leadership looks like, yeah. what the face of leadership's visions look like. Um, you know, we were so invested in that race for a variety of reasons. If you closed your eyes and no one put a pronoun to her name, she was one of the most qualified people to run for governor in this country's history. Um, but there's a lot of lessons learned there. Um, I will share that one of the things I've said about Georgia is that you had two candidates that it, that excited an electorate. And Georgia had the largest turnout of voters on both the Republican and Democratic side in their state's history. Um, and we just want to ensure that the people that were, you know, excited about uh, the governor's race, that they all have their votes counted and that we, you know, um, suppression of votes in the 21st century is that it has no place in this democracy. Yeah. Um, but I have shared that, you know, my heart uh, has always been in Georgia. I've been thinking about moving there, um, <laughs> have been inspired by uh, Stacey Abrams for years, uh, met her when she was a state legislator uh, before she was the minority leader there. And for me, my, my oldest goddaughter lives there. My oldest goddaughter is 14. She wears her hair in Afro puffs. And for her to see the evening news and to see male you know, mail from Stacey Abrams and to see articles and um, stories about a woman that looks like her who wears her hair unapologetically kinky uh, and shows her the possibilities that exist mm -hmm. for whatever leadership role she decides to have. Yeah, I, you know, kudos to all of everyone and all the work that you're doing that creates a foundation for all these women to stand up and be elected or stand for election and it's tough and it's tough we we only get to see a fraction really of what's been thrown at stacy you know as well as the support and um it really moves me when i think about her and i think about the many people like her and you and your work the because it's critical work and um it's tough work. It's tough it is. work. And what I, but, yeah. yeah, what still inspires me about Stacy is that when it's all said and done, she will have nationalized the conversation around voter disenfranchisement. Yes. And and the importance of um, fighting to ensure, you know, and she's fighting for every vote. It may not. She's like, I'm fighting for votes that may not be my votes. That we right. live in a democracy where we should have a system, a voting system that works, um, yes. regardless if we disagree on who, who you're voting for. Um, and, you know, when, it, when it's all said and done, she will have changed the conversation, changed the energy um, of a lot of the work that advocates have been advocating for over the last 10 years around ensuring, because these disenfranchisement of votes actually disproportionately affect African-Americans and Latinos. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, this, which then means just based on black, black women's voter participation, disproportionately affects black women. Right. If um, they didn't know the power of the black woman vote, they wouldn't be trying to take it away. So, from so exactly, exactly. Exactly. They're trying to suppress it for a reason. And I think, I think in so much of what you're saying is, is for black women and black communities to fully, fully get the power of the power that's in their hands. And if we can continue to harness that power, it's amazing the difference that we can make um, in these times. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, I won't go into the comparisons between the UK Mm. and the us in terms of this but um yeah it's we, we uh, I, I don't know I, uh, yeah it's different let me just it's, say it's different yeah and people and i should say people need to share their stories again you know playing on our campaign the truth teller we've been encouraging people particularly in georgia but also across this country we need to tell our voting truth story and right. so there's a video that um, now this in uh, uh, color change put out of a 96 year old black woman who literally has voted in every election has voted well has voted in every election but particularly hasn't voted in ever um, has voted at the same um, polling place for 50 years and her name was not on the rolls this oh, year. Oh yes, yes. I and she's and then she says in the video, "Did they think I died?" <laughs> And, you know, it's just that whole, like, you know, just we, we live in a 21st century um, society and our voting system should match the, the right. ability to, to use technology in the right. way that not assuming that a 96 year old woman is trying to be a fraudulent voter. Exactly. She's 
exactly. So Galina, can we um can we move dive into a bit more of your 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 personal journey mm-hmm. and um and what it's like for you in this in this work. So you, you when we started, you talked about your your family and the influence of your family. Um, all your all the influence of the women in your family is what you spoke about your um, your lineage. Tell us um, more about what it was like for you as you were growing up in this political. You said you you had a political family, really. Um, what was it like for you growing up, and what are the kind of principles that you that guide you through that through that early life yeah so you know my father was a community activist um i am you know a jamaican uh so i you know uh my father we we always joke around was you know started um uh you know was one of the founding uh, members of the West Indian Foundation in Connecticut. Connecticut has one of the largest uh, concentrations of West Indians in the United States. It doesn't. So Seriously. It, it does. Concentration. Not probably concentration. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. And, okay. And, yeah, and some of that is based on uh, migrant workers to, who came to work uh, in Connecticut in the tobacco mm-hmm. fields and the apple orchards. Uh, and yeah. one of the most organized, I think, uh, com- uh, Caribbean communities uh, in the country. So, you know, on any given weekend or day, we were stuffing envelopes and and we were, you know, at events. My mother was, you know, actively engaged. It is just kind of what our family, you know, did. Um, and uh, in the spirit of that, I was sharing, you know, sharing recently the notion of, you know, bringing in, you know, I talk about my, um, you know, the women in my family, but, you know, the men in my family were very influential as well. Uh, and particularly as it relates to ensuring that, you know, my parents fought to ensure that, you know, um, we had the best opportunity, educational opportunities, uh, the best, you know, cultural opportunities, but also being very deeply rooted in understanding the importance of our, our Caribbean heritage uh, in protecting in a time where, uh, you know, immigrants are obviously being attacked, uh, the importance of, um, you know, our voices uh, and our contributions to uh, the mosaic of this country. Um, and, you know, I stepped onto my college campus with all that my parents instilled in, in me and, and, you know, fought and were actively engaged in on my college campus. As you know, at, you know, every mm-hmm. college uh, generation has had something that, uh, you know, upset them. I went yes. to college uh, and was on a college campus when uh, the Rodney King verdict uh, came out, which right. uh, we were on, you know, I was on a college campus for the Million Man's March. So there was a lot of, you know, activism happening at the time I was in college that, that mm-hmm. shaped my thoughts, you know, my undergrad degrees in music. Um, but, you know, your activism, regardless of your, your background, you know, steps out. So being able to say we want demanding, you know, faculty, you know, faculty of color and for there to be more inclusion on, you know, I went to a, a predominantly white institution, all, you know, shaped and put me on the pathway. Again, like I mentioned, my under, you know, my undergrad degree was in music. I thought mm-hmm. I was going to be some arts manager somewhere. Um, and you know, uh, my steps were ordered in the way for me to be exactly where I was supposed to be exactly at the right time. Um, and that is all based on, you know, each step that, uh, you know, uh, my creator has ordered, um, since, um, you know, since I was, you know, born till now. Mm-hmm. When was the moment then that you saw what your, like your, your core purpose is then? If you started off on the path of music and then what point did you think, oh, no, let me, it's, you, I, it's here that there was this each step, but what was the point where you thought, no, this is, this is really where I ought to be? Um, I don't think there was any given moment. Um, I think, you know, when I, we talk to young people, I always talk about, um, you know, there is, for most of us, there's no, um, um, you know, no singular pathway that I woke up at 25 going, what do I want to be when I grow up? I woke mm-hmm. up at 35 saying, what do I want to be when I grow up? And mm-hmm. I still think there's, you know, um, phase, you know, 2.5, 3.0 for me about what do I really want to be when I, I grow up? Um, but I think as it relates to my work now and deciding to unapologetically be um, a black woman um, 24 hours a day, um, was the 2010 midterm elections when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. <laughs> um, and being able to have a partner 
uh, and a friend like Kim Peele or Allen to literally just bounce an idea off of each other, um, you know, on one given Wednesday afternoon and really then sketch out the possibilities that existed. We didn't know uh, that we were building uh, an organization in a moment for this season uh, mm-hmm. when we sat in that Brooklyn cafe. Um, but it was something about the labor, um, you know, the labor of love over the last six years and building a institution of um, volunteers and supporters uh, in the way that, you know, built um, a moment for us to organize black women across this country um, to harness our power. If you look at all of that, what would you say then is your biggest accomplishment so far? Because that's huge already. So I'm curious what you had to name what's the biggest thing. What would, what would it be? Building an institution that black women see themselves in. Higher Heights is the political home for black women. Uh, and that's what we're most proud of, of our work, is that we are creating an environment where black women can uniquely see themselves in community by creating a space for us to be informed, engaged, and to take action, but also be inclusive enough where our allies feel like they have a space at our home. Um, what I always share about um, why we love using the analogy that Higher Heights is the political home for black women's political leadership mm-hmm. is that um, uh, particularly my grandmother always had room at her kitchen table. So although that we unapologetically are organizing black women, uh, that as we organize black women, we are creating spaces for you know the men uh, that are um, interested in our work and our white allies to be engaged to help recruit, train, support black women to run for office and to create a broader network of citizens to move this country forward. So um, I love the notion of always having a space at the table and realizing that the in, it is in connection and in community that we can make change, but with a focus, our primary focus on the needs of black of black women. And a, a lot, yes, I'm in love with you and the organization. I just want to say that. Should we shout oh, out? Really, I am. You. I am. The work is just so, so important. What have you learned about yourself on this journey so far, given this stepping out in a, to this degree? Hmm. Good question. What have I learned? Um, I've learned that um, we, you know, I always believe. I always believe that we all have more um, ability to grow. Um, so this has been a season of me growing and stretching. Um, and um, the ability for me to meet new people, new diverse people uh, in a way that I didn't think I ever would. And to be inspired each and every day by the stories um, of our members, the stories of our activists, the story of the women that ran and won and the stories of the women that ran and lost mm-hmm. um, absolutely continues to fuel, uh, you know, fuel me and Kimberly and our you know, leadership team's ability to know that we've, you know, created, truly created a space um, where black women, um, you know, can, can thrive. So if I, if you had um, two wishes for you and your organization, what would it be? Two wishes. The good witch. (laughs) (laughs) Just two wishes. Um, The wish is to change, um, the face of leadership, uh, and each and every day we see that happening. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't know if it's a wish, um, more so than my, um, me imagining the possibilities that exist. So I imagine, you know, a black woman in the white house. Um, yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Can it happen in my lifetime, please? So I, and I imagine that. I'm so, I I cannot tell you that I've just got all heart. I want that so much. Yes. I don't know if it's a wish, but I imagine a a, a, a black woman in a white house. And I imagine um, us building a network of black women who um, flex our economic power, our electoral power, and the power of our voice in a way 
that builds an economically stable, healthy, and safe community for our families, our communities, our states, and our nations. I, I, I've got nothing to say. That is just so good. That is just so good. I, oh, I wish that Thank so you. much for you. Thank you. I just love you, love oh. your work. I'm just like, <laughs> seriously, seriously. It's well. so urgent. Your work is so urgent, so important. And um, I appreciate it, but it's it's exactly, I mean, we built something that we were longing for. Yes. Right? So if Kimberly and I were looking to be able to be in rooms that look like us, as you know, oftentimes when you're in progressive rooms or rooms that are, you know, political rooms, you're waving at the other two people of color. Right. And, and, then, and, and then you hesitate to go, are we doing the caucus? Are we having the black caucus? Are we having the people of color caucus? So to be able to just uniquely design a space um, unapologetically for us um, is what we were looking for. And it is uh, affirming to know that others were thinking the same thing. So uh-huh. even when we're in rooms that are still, you know, uh, where we're still, you know, um, in few in numbers, it's something about being able to bring the conversation about black women's political leadership and political power in a way uh-huh. that like, uh, I was at, like I said, an event yesterday in the room, probably 200, 300 people, probably, you know, African-American women were 5%, 10%. But I could feel sitting on the stage that like the nods and the amens and the, you know, like the collectivity of 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 the the strength in our small numbers. And of course, you know, we all lingered after yes. <laughs> to be able to, you know, have a moment. And it, it, it was actually a discussion. Uh, I was on a panel and then they had a panel discussion with five of the new congressional members uh, uh, it, that will be sworn in in January. And two of them. Uh, one was Ilan Omar, uh, who is one of two Muslim, uh, women headed to Congress. Uh, she's a Somali, Somalian, uh, refugee who is a young mom who unapologetically came to, you know, uh, her orientation week with her hub job on right. and Ayanna Presley, who everything about her boldness and her yes. single braids, um, you could tell this is like they had lines of all women, but particularly black women wanting to talk to them after the panel, just like literally inspired my ability to know that uh, research points to that uh, when women of color um, run for office or in leadership roles, they are they create a role model effect or as I yeah. call it, the, the Chisholm effect. So to know that the Ilhans of the world and uh, Ayanna Presley's of the world who are wearing, you know, their authentic self physically, you know, emotionally and mentally will inspire the next generation of leaders. You leave me speechless. My listeners are going to go, she's actually speechless. Like she ain't. She ain't. what you got to say? My last thing to ask you is, if you have an ask of, our listen- of my listeners, what's your ask of us? We celebrate the gains this year, but black women are still underrepresented and underserved. So we need help growing this movement. So, you know, come and be part of the political home formed by black women open to everybody. Go to higherheightsforamerica.org and, you know, like joining and being like one of our activist members is as simple as just signing your email. Um, Follow us on social media at hashtag black women lead. Um, or at Higher Heights um, on Twitter. Um, we are your go-to source about all things about this democracy and, and, and this political time for Black women. Um, you can get the latest news. You can follow these amazing um, elected women across this country. And every year is an election year. So we will be organizing and orga- organizing and supporting women running for office in 19, 2019 and 2020 and beyond. But we also have to be active voters in every election cycle. So if you are, you know, a lot of people are looking to be more politically engaged, you know, we are a great entry point. Already politically engaged and looking to deep dive and be more engaged, come and, you know, invest in our our work. Um, Come and volunteer and be part of our work. Um, Lend your voice to our work. Um, 
we are stronger together as black women. And we hope that you will be part of this hashtag black women lead movement uh, in nation in the way that will you know, help us move this country to higher heights. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I'd love to have you back at some point as well in the future, like keeping this conversation going and out there. And as you said, it's, an, it's, not, it's not over. This is like the big, it's like we've had a paradigm shift, but now from this new paradigm, let's create another one. You know, let's keep, keep moving and expanding. Yeah, we look forward to continuing to, you know, be in conversation and, you know, would love to come back when we've got some, we've got some exciting new things happening um, in the new year and ways for you not only to support the work, but also to be engaged in the work um, mm-hmm. in the, in the coming months. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for being a guest on She's Got Drive. Thanks for having us. I hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life. You can see why I totally fell in love with Linda and her total passion for standing for black women, taking ownership of their own power, participating in the political process, influencing policies that really impact our daily lives, recognising the power that is in our hands on the social, economic, as well as political power, acknowledging that the importance of our voice and the importance of our voice being heard and that her, her tireless work is so important to forwarding everything that we care about. So... I felt very privileged to interview her. I took so much from it and I'm so glad that she was able to be a guest on our show. At some point, I absolutely look forward to having her back on the show and wish she can share what's happening with her and her organization in 2019. And I'm really excited to hear from you to find out what is it that you took away from this episode. So please, Head over to um, my Instagram account and then share on there. You know, let me know. You can send me a message or you can leave comments under the, the promotion for the show. And, you know, on the Facebook page, you can always leave comments there. And also, you can always email me. You can contact me through my website on jellymacalpine.com. She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Voltolina. The music is by the awesome or female band Blonde. The song is called Circles. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, go well and stay well.